0: So in my uh, prayer time this morning, I um, was praying for my daughters, and I was praying for my younger daughter who lives in Portland, that she would find a church that she could connect into and um, be a part of, and then lo and behold, she shows up at the back door here and surprises me and is here today. So don't... Um, don't think that there's not power in prayer, all right? So I prayed that at 7, and she showed up here at 9 o'clock. So um, if you have any prayer requests, let me know. (laughs) The rest of you kids, if you're still in here, you're dismissed. This kid gets to stay here. But um, no, so yeah, so I'm ready to pray and close and go to brunch. No, just kidding. (laughs) But um, no, so we are continuing on in the book of Galatians. And with... uh, um, with the story that we've been walking through this this letter that paul wrote very important letter that speaks about freedom it speaks about freedom and i was thinking about this week there's maybe several camps that that at least in my mind as i was framing this that people often fall into when it comes to freedom either um people are desperate to have it and they they search it um, some people are jealous because they don't have it and then spiteful because they don't. And so that affects their heart. Others believe that their rigid ruled way is the right and the best way. And so they, out of that mindset, tear other people down. Then there are those people that have the freedom and hopefully they don't flaunt it, but they realize the grace that they live out. So this idea of freedom, some people that have it, and steward it and some people who don't and they still are trying to figure out why are they so happy why are they so free and so this idea of freedom it it frames this letter that paul wrote and so we're looking at this idea of freedom and in today's section paul addresses those it says that they they infiltrated and they spied on us because of the freedom we have in christ so out of one of these camps, these people were coming in for whatever the purpose was, but they still did this issue of freedom was still something heavy for them that they hadn't either dealt with, understood, gotten over, joined, whatever it was. And so they infiltrated and spied on us because this freedom, how can you have this freedom? And the truth is freedom in Jesus is available to all people. But to receive it, you have to leave whatever position you're in by faith and grace and come to it. So this idea of freedom. And ultimately, this freedom um, unites us. And then Paul's writing here that he's united in his message and ministry because grace is at work. The grace of God that brings that freedom is at work. And so Paul continues in his letter And there's three things we're going to look at today. There's 10 verses we're going to look at. And there's three key things that come out of that. That that first and foremost, as he meets with people, there's affirmation. When we sit down and we talk about the truth of the gospel, it affirms the belief that we have in that gospel. And then because we've stood on that faith and that, that truth, then we base our convictions on that truth. And then those convictions will get tested in the midst of the environment we live in, but also that that gospel truth builds community and fellowship, and so that's what Paul is dealing with here in this chapter, uh, this part of the chapter that we're looking at here. And so, Galatians chapter two, verses one through ten, and he continues on in his letter. He says, "Then after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I also took Titus." So there's debate about which trip was this, how often did he go up to Jerusalem, which one was this, what was the surrounding scenarios for that. And so there's a couple different places we can land on it. But I think what Paul is trying to underscore here in this letter in mentioning this is the time element is significant to show how delayed and sporadic he visits Jerusalem. Because he's still maintaining that the vision that he received, the call he received, and the message he received was independent of the apostles. That he received what he received from the risen Savior on the road to Damascus. And so now this is the second time he's mentioned um, going to Jerusalem in this letter. And I think the significance of the 14 years and going up with this community was to show that it's not so much about how often he went, but the fact that when he went, there was confirmation and affirmation with those he met with. And so he goes on, he says, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. And I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Right, so he comes up to Jerusalem and he has this meeting with those leaders and then they get identified as the progresses in this letter, but, but he has a meeting privately with them. This isn't a public debate. This is a private conversation, which often is a better setting to find commonality And to walk through things more in a private setting than it is in a public setting. And so for whatever the reason, he comes in, he meets with these esteemed leaders in a private meeting, and I believe in the midst of that meeting, he affirms. He affirms the gospel he's been preaching. He's not there to to get their approval, but what he gains is affirmation. Because they're preaching the same gospel message, though they received it through different scenarios right? These esteemed leaders, they had walked with Jesus. They had met with the resurrected Jesus right afterwards. And so through that walking and through that waiting after the resurrection, they gained that understanding. But Paul didn't walk with Jesus. It was interesting. He was walking on the road to tear down Jesus when he met Jesus. So walking was involved with both and Christ was there in both scenarios, but one was different from the other. But the same Lord, the same message, and the same revelation given to each of them, though different context. And so he says, I I went back up. I met privately with these esteemed leaders. I believe in the midst of that private conversation, they walked through the gospel and the message that they were both preaching in different context was affirmed. And the result of their meeting was that unity, unity was built among the message and the messengers. And unity is a hallmark of the church but then he says here that I wanted to make sure I wasn't running my race in vain and I think as he writes that there was not an issue with the gospel message I think rather his concern was for the ministry of the gospel not the message of the gospel for he was preaching the same message of the gospel that the other apostles were as well but I think what he was concerned of was the ministry of that, how it was being received and lived out amongst those who were receiving it and hearing it. And here's Paul just in these first 14 years, right? These first 13 few years in his, in his ministry and his heart is for the people he's ministering to because he wants to make sure that he's not running his race in vain, I, this is a big weekend for a race that I've done a couple times in the past up in Tahoe. So I chose not to do it this year. And then, um, but I was following my friends that are running it. 100 mile, 50 mile, 60K. And um, and seeing that because of the heat, some of them, even my coach who was leading the women's race halfway through, had to drop out and be driven down the, the mountain down back into Carson. And I wonder this morning as I was praying for her, I'm like, did she feel like she ran her race in vain? And I, I think about that too for me, for, for the things that we all invest our time into, especially other people, when it's based on love, when it's based on affection, when it's based on care and concern, we want those other people to be built up. And I believe that's what Paul is addressing here because there was nothing wrong with the message. The hope was as the message is preached and as the message is teach and as the message is modeled, that those who were learning would be growing in their Christ likeness, would be growing in truth and that that time invested in other people would not be for nothing. And so we said, I I wanna make sure I'm not wasting my time and running my race in vain. And so he goes on, he says, yet, yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was Greek. And so we talked about this, the issue that's underlying this whole letter is this idea that there's prerequisites. You have to first become a Jew and be circumcised before you can become a Christian. And Paul is writing absolutely against that. And as a proof point, he says in here, here's one of my coworkers, Titus, who felt no compulsion, no pressure under this extreme threat of being compelled to submit to that because he knew the gospel truth and he was already free and saved. That not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. Because he held true to the convictions he knew based on the truths of the gospel and he was willing to stand firm on that even in the face of difficult opposition. And I wonder about that for us, that if we've received the gospel truth and we based our life on that, when, when challenges come, when, when people come and they, they contend for, no, that can't be the truth, you must do these things. Are we able to stand firm on the convictions that we hold to in the truth of the gospel and the freedom we have in Christ? Or do we sometimes bend to the will of other people? This idea of of adding rules, of adding um, legalism. And as I thought about this, I I thought about my senior year. Going into my senior year in high school, there was a movie that came out called Footloose. Footloose. And I went to a very conservative Christian school where you cannot dance, And then of course, we saw this movie in our senior year, and we're like, "We're going to dance, right? Because why? Because there's all these rules, right? this tradition that they put over on top of you that, that, to safeguard you. because you know if you dance, dance is going to lead to all kinds of immoral things. So we better safeguard ourselves and not dance. And then there's no immorality, right? Because we're not dancing. Um, but these, these laws, this tradition that gets put on top of to safeguard, where the heart of the matter cuts through all of those things. Now granted, and we'll get to this later on in the letter, but our freedom is not a license to sin, but rather the exact opposite. Opposite. But again, that there are those who, who see us in our freedom and don't fully understand it based on the camps that they're in, and they try to, 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 to levy these things on top of us. Because if they aren't experiencing it, then we shouldn't experience it. So not even Titus was compelled under threat, force, compulsion. He held to his convictions And we base our convictions on gospel truth, not counterfeiters. False believers teach a false gospel that births false freedom. And false freedom is no freedom. It's still slavery. So Paul writes, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. They wanted to come to those of us who are already free. They didn't understand it. They were trying to get us to follow their rules. And on top of that, then they started to teach improper teaching. Why? To re-enslave us to the law. Re-enslave us to tradition. To these things that they hadn't broken free of. Because they hadn't broken free of, we shouldn't have that freedom. And so there's this... Contention that's going on between false believers and the true gospel. Right? If, if this was the true gospel they were preaching, I don't think they would have to infiltrate. They wouldn't have to sneak into our ranks. But right? It reminds me as we were looking back at the I am statements of Jesus, it, where Jesus is talking about that He is the gate and He's the good shepherd, and those who come in from some other way, like this sounds exactly like that. Okay? If If they were legitimate teachers, they wouldn't have to infiltrate. They could just come in because they were part of. But they're not. They're illegitimate and they're preaching illegitimate things. Because they don't understand the freedom. And it bugged them so much that they wanted to re-enslave those who were free. And this is a significant struggle. I, I go back to my story that I shared last week, and I'll unfold that a little bit more. For those of us that are that are coming out of legalistic backgrounds, grace is so hard to 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 live into. Because it feel even sometimes for me, it, it coming into this grace and having to rewire this like thirty years ago. Like it felt like, are, are you sure? Like. I don't know if I should be doing this. And I would kind of go back towards that legalism just because it felt safe. Because I knew what the rules were. They're much more clear here of what you can't do than this permission to go and live love unlimited in the royal law of love for Christ. Like that was just so vague. I'm like, that. And there would be this internal struggle that was still fighting within me. Because grace was so freeing, but I just still didn't understand, especially in my earlier years, what that freedom was supposed to feel like. And I remember coming, you know, those first few years coming into this idea of understanding grace more and more. What I understood was when I was legalistic, that legalism often gives birth to, birth to judgmentalism. And when I was living in a legalistic world, then I, w- I was judging your freedom. Like, yeah, I, uh, What do you? Yeah, I see what you're doing. And part of that was, as I saw what they were doing, I didn't understand it. But there was then the self condemnation because I, I would try and live into that without understanding the full effects of grace. And what I first started to deal with was this self condemnation, this judgment of myself. This shame until I fully understood what it meant when Jesus says, If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. But to live into this freeing grace was such a struggle. So I I understand what's taking place here because I've been there. And this freedom that comes through through God as grace. What what I learned to to, to change within me was to move from being a steward of sin management to being a steward of grace distribution. And I'll tell you, grace distribution and being a steward and a disciple of that is amazing. I'm so glad that, that by God's miraculous healing in my life, I got over that hump. And I'm I'm more so of this, not all the way there yet, but radically more here in the distribution of grace than I was in the sin management. Because the sin management just kept me in this prison. And, and I think about this. This prison, imagine sitting in a prison cell that's been open and you're set free. And you have the freedom to leave, but yet you still stay in that cell with the door wide open because, whatever your scenario. But this idea that he's writing about here, that these, they came in to spy on our freedom because they didn't understand it. So he goes on, he says, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The conviction that Paul was writing with, that he was living with, that he was teaching with, that Barnabas was expressing, that Titus was expressing, that they had met with the apostles, and I believe the apostles were expressing, this united message was being lived out, the truth of the gospel, so it would be a preservation for those who were hearing, so that the truth would be lived out, and these infiltrators that were trying to rewrite the gospel would be put down. And so here he says, We are holding true to our conviction, the truth of the gospel, to preserve it for you. He says, As for those who were held in high esteem, he says, Whatever they were makes no difference to me, because they didn't unduly influence Paul's message. says God doesn't show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. So when he met with these esteemed leaders, it wasn't an addition to his message. It was an approval of the message that God had already given him. And so it was an encouragement, I think to both ways from the apostles um, in the Jerusalem to Paul and, and Barnabas and Titus. But he says, but they added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. So this idea that that they were affirmed and not added onto the message. And this idea of of a co-mission of the gospel, a co-mission That out of these private meetings, there was encouragement one to another, and they also affirmed that, yes, we have been called, Paul, Barnabas, and Titus, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and they to the Jewish nation. This co-mission, so that the gospel can go out to the whole world, the whole gospel for the whole world. And they were affirming that call here in this meeting. Yes, to very different contents, Very different cultural expressions and the context. But the same message going out to radically different nations. Why? For the purpose of freedom. The freedom that comes in Christ. And I wonder as they thought about this, did did this come up in their conversation? Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. This promise that God made to Abraham, way before the law was ever written. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make you a great name, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all, all people, all nations on the earth will be blessed through you. So what was taking place in these meetings in Jerusalem that Paul's writing about here is an affirmation and the reality that what was spoken about so long ago was coming true. That if these people here, I believe that they have the message, they can't go back to this. But yet the apostles can come straight back to this. and say This is what it means to live a blessing. We talk about that in our language here. This is, this is language that we as cedars right? To bless other people. It's core to what we're doing is coming back to this same promise because God will bless all the nations and all the nations are coming here and we're living as a blessing to all the nations that are in our inner circle, that are in our sphere of influence. We're going back to the same promise that God made Abraham. We claim that for ourselves in freedom in Christ and the gospel and we're doing this. For God was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, who was also at work in Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles. And if we could add on to that, and it's also at work at us here at Cedars as we live out in the Bay Area, the same thing. To live out the blessing of God that brings freedom and truth to all nations. Regardless of the background. And of course we know the backgrounds then have their own cultural context which why we have to be so smart in the work that we do so they can understand the message and receive it. This says for God was at work. Was already at work. And not that he was still planning to be at work eventually. He was already working. In Peter to the Jew, Jewish nation, and to Paul to the Gentile nations. And as they come together here, we're being reminded that they're working in community together, united. Who wasn't united? The people who snuck in, the infiltrators that came in to try and preach a false gospel. But these apostles, who are standing firm, who are standing firm on the convictions that they have and the truth of the gospel, are united in purpose. James, Peter, and John, those esteemed pillars. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace that had been given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they should go to the circumcised. That in the midst of the gospel being shared, it's building community. It's building fellowship. This word for fellowship is a deep connection. And this gospel, as we agree to it, builds a deep connection within the church. This fellowship, and they recognize this. It brings affirmation, it brings um, unity. This deep seated community that we build based on the truth of Jesus Christ. The Jerusalem apostles recognized that that unity was a matter of truth and not tradition. That the unity that was being established was a matter of truth and fact not tradition and man-made rules. And I, and I don't know if this was now a public part of that, but, but Paul's writing that, no, they extended the right hand. We made a deal. We agreed. These pillars, adding us to the column of pillars, so to speak. And there was commission. Commission that we would take serious the call of God's promise to Abraham to bring that blessing to all nations. And Then he finishes this section with this last bit. All they asked is we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do. Right? There's, there's understanding that there were several times when Paul did come to Jerusalem, he brought collections, Right? The, the churches had their giving baskets out and he brought those collections to those in Jerusalem who are in extreme need. And so Paul adds this in. They, they did ask one thing. It wasn't about the message. It was about the ministry that we would be clear on being united in the message and also united in the ministry that regardless of the race, regardless of the nationality, we remember these basic things and one of them is to remember the poor. That you, unity in the message and in the ministry cuts across cultural boundaries. This is all they asked. They didn't, they didn't challenge the message. They brought a good challenge an encouragement that they also were going to be a part of, that we would continue on in loving these poor people. That they didn't add anything to the message, but they affirmed it. They confirmed the call. And they said, and we will serve side by side in serving the poor. Plus, it's the very thing I was eager to do that the gospel is practically at work in a broken and enslaved world right now. Among the poor, among the poor in spirit, among those who have not heard yet, among those who are still watching. Like, how is Tim going to live his life? How is he going to respond? I, I have to believe that those people in my, uh, my sphere of influence feel much more the blessing much more the grace that I seek to steward than maybe those in my 20s and the conversations I had where I was still more concerned about managing sin than distributing grace. Even just saying it, I can feel the difference. And so in our lives in our lives individually and collectively of cedars? Are we standing firm on the truth of the gospel, holding true to the convictions that we have believed, and then taking that gospel message in ministry back into the places where God has called us? Later on in the letter, we're going to get to this, but it says that the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. And as I read that later on in Galatians, that, like that's what to me it means to be a steward of the grace of God. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this letter to us. And Lord, in the midst of that, for those of us online and those of us here, I don't know what camps we're still in with trying to understand the grace and the freedom that comes with it. But I thank you that you're patient with us. That this is the day of salvation, you say, and that you're you're patient with us not wanting anyone to perish. God, there are some of us that, that our stories are still a struggle with legalism, of following the rules, feeling we have to earn this. It's a great line in a movie, but it's a horrible way to live our life. So, Lord, for those of us that are still struggling with freedom, what does it mean to be free in Christ? That we would continue to come to you and allow you, Holy Spirit, to rewire us, to rework us, and to set us free. Jesus, I think of the words you said in a similar context with conversation. Similar thing when you were here that if the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. God, thank you for this letter. I pray that as we continue to go through it, we would be built up. We would be encouraged. We would be affirmed to live out the freedom you give so that others can be set free as well. God, I thank you for your grace that is at work